Episode 64, Battle with the Midianites. The Israelites would prepare for battle against the Midianites, sending only 12,000 soldiers, priests, and a few items from the tabernacle into the field of battle. Some would say that this would be considered a holy war waged by the Israelites against the tribes of Midian, the people that sought to destroy Israel from the inside out. Welcome to the History of the Bible. In the last episode, we talked about the leadership transition from Moses to Joshua, although Moses hadn't died yet, so Joshua was only chosen as the successor to Moses. God had Moses around for a couple more things to do before he would die. This led to the beginning of the discussion about the battle with the Midianites. The battle was set on the eastern side of the Jordan Valley. Just across the Jordan Valley was the Promised Land. The Israelites were still camping in the plains of Moab, preparing to go into the Promised Land. However, the Lord called for an all-out war against the Midianites, what they had done by seducing the Israelites to pursue foreign gods and their practices. Each tribe would send 1,000 men for the battle. This would bring a total of 12,000 fighting men. This would not include the Levites, as they were only meant to handle things that were related to the worship of God and tabernacle. As a side note, how could there be 12 tribes sending men into battle plus the tribe of Levi? Wouldn't that make 13 tribes? Jacob had 12 sons making the 12 tribes of Israel. However, Joseph's tribe was split between his two sons, so technically, there were 13 tribes. 12,000 men were ready for battle, with all the supplies and equipment that they needed. Phinehas, the grandson of Aaron, was sent with the men prepared for battle. Most likely, he had other members of the Levite tribe with him to help him carry and transport the articles from the tabernacle. As we discussed in the last episode, items that were taken to battle by Phinehas aren't known. Some believe it to be the Ark, yet it doesn't specifically say they took the Ark of the Covenant. Others believe that it was just the Urim that would bring about the words from the Lord. That item stayed with the high priest. One other suggestion has been found that when it says articles from the sanctuary, it means all of the items within the tabernacle. All of the holy items within the actual tent itself packed up and moved out to the battlefield. But this would not make any sense because most of the items in the tabernacle were wholly unable to be seen by the common person. Plus, they weren't going out to make sacrifices. They were only done at the tabernacle, nowhere else. It could have been that the sacred items that were brought from the tabernacle were items that would be used to purify the army when it came back from war so that they could re-enter back into society. The whole point of the battle was for the Israelites to take vengeance on the Midianites because they seduced the men of Israel to pursue foreign gods and goddesses. 
Most scholars believe that the battle with the Midianites happened right after the plague ended inside the Israelite camp. Whereas the Bible has the plague happening in Numbers 25, and then the battle happens in chapter 31. Some believe that right after the plague in Numbers 25, the Israelites recovered from their sickness and prepared for battle. 12,000 men being sent into battle against the Midianites is not that many. The Midianites at the time were not a large nation like others that lived in and around the land of Canaan. A battle would come about between the Israelites and the Midianites. It is said in Numbers 31 verse 7 that the Israelites won the battle against them, and in doing so they killed every single man that came out for battle against the Israelites. Meaning, they destroyed the Midianites. And in verse 8, it says that they killed five Midianite kings. In other areas of the Bible, it calls these five kings chiefs, or princes, that were subjects to the king of Sion. So it could have been that when the Israelites defeated the Amorite king, it by default also gave the Midianites their freedom. The political system of the Midianites was not yet a single kingdom. It was still smaller tribes and groups of people, some living in cities and others still living the nomad lifestyle in tents. So when the Israelites came and destroyed the five different chiefs, they didn't destroy the whole people group. Most likely, it would have been those tribes of the Midianites that engaged in seducing Israelites. Something to remember throughout this whole time that the Israelites attacked the Midianites, Moses lived with them for 40 years. When he first married a woman after running away from Egypt, he married a Midianite woman, which means his sons were part Midianite. His father-in-law was a priest for the Midianites. His brother-in-law was traveling along with the Israelites to help guide them. Moses had a connection to these people that the Israelites were attacking. But again, the tribe that Moses lived with was most likely a tribe that was closer to Egypt and under their rule, rather than being farther east and under the rule of the Amorites, which were the tribes that the Israelites were attacking. Now that we have an understanding that the tribes that the Israelites were attacking were not the whole Midianite people group, it was most likely the tribes that were engaged with bringing the Israelites down as well as those tribes that were under the rule of the Amorite king. When the Israelites defeated the armies of the five tribes of Midian, they also killed Balaam the diviner, the same man that was supposed to curse the Israelites, but was unable to do so because of the readings that the Lord gave him. It isn't sure why he was there. But it could have been that if the events of him giving the advice to the people, them following the advice, the plague happening, and then the battle all happened one right after the other, it might have been that he never went home. He stayed in the land to help the Midianites follow through on the advice that he gave them. After the armies were defeated, the Israelites attacked all the towns and camps of these five tribes. Remember. These weren't cities because the Midianites were still a nomadic nation. That means that these towns would have little to no defenses in comparison to a city. 
the Israelites came in and destroyed all the camps and towns of these five tribes, taking everything. They would take all the women and children. They took all the herds, flocks, and anything that had value was taken as war plunder. After the battle and plundering of the towns and camps, the Israelites head back to meet Moses and Eleazar, the high priest. However, because the Israelites were coming back from the battle were unclean, because more than likely they had touched a dead body, they would have to remain outside of the camp. This means that Moses, Eleazar, and the chiefs of Israel went to meet them outside the Israelites' camp. When Moses got to the place where the soldiers were camping, he was angry with the commanders. He was angry because the commanders kept all of the women alive. In Numbers 31, verse 15, Moses asked the commanders, Have you let all the women live? Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord. So Moses called for the commanders to do something that many people struggle with. Scholars debate why Moses would give this next command. In the battle, all the men were killed. There weren't any men in any of the towns or camps that were plundered, so they had all died. It was just women and children. But why kill the boys and the women? The boys, it would come down to that they would eventually grow up into men. Once that happened, it was often the responsibility of the son or male family member to avenge their father's or other family member's death. Family vengeance was a very strong factor in ancient history, so much so that the Lord even gives instructions on how to handle it correctly within Israel. For the women, these were women who had sex. They were to all be killed as well. The reason that Moses was angry that they were left alive was because they ultimately brought the seduction of Israel to pursue other gods. It was not the men of the Midianites that caused issues, it was the women. This would be called sacred prostitution, which was related to the worship of a Canaanite goddess. In some practices in ancient history, women had to serve at least once in the temple as a prostitute. This would be an act of worship as well as a prayer for the women to bear many children. Therefore, if a woman from the Midianites had sex with a man, it was more than likely that she had practiced in the sacred prostitution, or at least did some kind of sexual cult practice. This is why Moses would have all of the women who had sex to be killed. Because if they left them alive, then they would once again be able to seduce the Israelites back into following other gods and goddesses. Instead of allowing this to happen, Moses had all of the women killed so that they would not entice the Israelites back into sin. This would leave the girls, all the young girls that had not had sex yet. This would mean that they had not participated in any sexual cult practices of their tribes. They may have some kind of knowledge of the practices, but they had not participated in it. So Moses allowed the Israelites to keep the young girls alive. It says in Numbers 31 verse 18, Save for yourselves every girl. 
Now, this matter is debated by many scholars. Scholars, especially those that do not believe the Bible is true, say that Moses allows the men to take the girls and make them sex slaves. Believing that this is what Moses meant when he said, save for yourselves every girl. Only reason that scholars believe that Moses allowed the men to keep the girls as sex slaves was because they just killed all the women that had sex with a man. The girls would not become sex slaves. Two things could have happened with the girls. Either they would become slaves to the Israelites, the men that captured them, or they would become the wives of the men. Addressing the matter of the girls becoming slaves. Slavery within Israel's society was completely different than that of the surrounding nations and tribes. When a slave came into the Israelites' authority, they came into their household. They would be cared for as another member of the family and treated as if they were a hired worker. They were allowed to earn money, own their own land, and even marry. Freedom could be given to a slave that was from another country by their master, or if they married a free person. Slaves were not treated harshly, like we think of modern-day slavery, although that type of slavery was happening in the surrounding nations. But God wanted to use slavery in a different way than the rest of the other nations. Instead of using slavery to take advantage of a person, God wanted it to bring a person into the fold of Israel. So when Moses said that the girls could be kept by the men that fought, he wasn't talking about sex slaves. Yes, he was talking about making them slaves, but it would be different. Different because the men would bring the girls into their household to be raised with the rest of the children. Plus, women slaves were not allowed to be working in the field or do physical labor like the male slaves. The female slave would be working within the homes. Often, this meant that they were helping the woman of the house, the wife of the master. Masters were to treat their slaves with mercy, compassion, and forbearance. They were to raise the slave so that as the master grew into fortune, so did the slave. When foreigners came into the fold of Israel, they were to be loved by the Israelites. Yes, this did include the slaves as well. The Lord commanded the Israelites later on that when they were to come into the promised land, that they were to love the foreigners because at one point, Israel was a foreigner too. Foreigners that came into the fold of Israel would adopt Yahweh as the one true God. They would accept the customs and practices, and they would become as if they were a citizen of Israel. Therefore, when these Midianite girls were kept by the men, they were expected to be brought into their households. And just like the rest of the family, these men were expected to teach everyone in the home the ways of God. He was teaching them and showing them how to pursue Yahweh. This would include the Midianite girls. Eventually, girls would grow up in Israel's society, becoming one with the other Israelites. The other thing that could have happened with the girls is that they could have been kept for marriage to the men that captured them. 
In Deuteronomy 21, verses 10 through 13, it says that when the Israelites were to go out to battle, they found among the captives a woman that a soldier wanted to bring home as a wife. He was to allow her 30 days to mourn the loss of her family. After that month, the man was allowed to marry her and bring her into the fold of Israel as his wife. Now, verse 14 of that same chapter of Deuteronomy 21 sets boundaries on if the man wants to divorce the woman he brought home from a battle. It says that if he was to let her go, he was not to be sold or treated like a slave. Ultimately, she would be a free woman within Israel's society. So to come back to if the girls were made into sex slaves, did not happen. If they were kept as a slave, then they would come into the household of the man and be raised as an Israelite. If the girl were kept to become a wife to one of the soldiers, then she would become part of Israel's society through marriage to the free Israelite man. Even if the man divorced her, she would still become a free woman in Israel, to do as she pleased. God gave clear direction about men and women having sex outside of marriage. In the next chapter of Deuteronomy 22, God gives laws about if a man rapes a woman, then she will have to become his wife, and he is never allowed to divorce her. If a man raped or had sex with an engaged woman, then the man would be stoned to death by the people of the city. Again, to go back to, because girls were never meant or allowed to become sex slaves, which would have been punishable by death to the man by stoning. God was serious about sexual sins within the community. Now, the question comes up, if they were only to keep alive the virgins, how would they know who to kill and who to keep alive? In Deuteronomy 22, God gives the Israelites a law concerning a husband accusing his new bride of not being a virgin when they got married. This was a huge issue in Israel if a woman was not a virgin when she got married. So for a woman being accused of not being a virgin, her father would come before the elders of the city and give his defense of his daughter. It says in Deuteronomy 22 verse 17 that to show evidence of his daughter's virginity, he shall spread the cloak before the elders of the city. This may sound like they are trying to do a physical examination of her before the elder, but it isn't. When it says that her father was to spread the cloak before them, it means a piece of cloth he received from the wedding. When a man and a woman got married during the wedding ceremony, the two would go into a private room or tent and consummate the marriage, meaning they would have sex during the wedding and seal the marriage covenant. When the two had sex for the first time, the woman would be a virgin, so having sex for the first time would more than likely break her hymen. The blood from this would fall onto a cloth that would then be kept for up to seven years after the contract was signed. This is the cloth that the father would show that she was a virgin on the night of the wedding. All that was to show that the way the Israelites would normally see if a woman was a virgin was based on her hymen being intact. 
through an examination of the girls that were captured during the raid of Israel into the Midianite tribes. Without going into the details of how this test was performed, historically, it was often done by an elder lady or trustworthy person. In the case of the Israelites, it could have been that it was the priests that would have done the examination, as no Israeli women are mentioned to be with the soldiers after the raid. In the end, this would be the result of the battle, with the five tribes of the Midianite being wiped from existence. These weren't all the Midianites, as there were other tribes farther to the southwest direction. After the Israelites came back from the raid, they were required to stay outside the camp for seven days. Anyone who had killed or had touched a dead body was needing to purify themselves. Everything needed to be clean. During the seven days of purification, on the third and seventh days, everyone was to clean themselves, including the captives. During the rest of the week, every garment, every animal skin, and every article of wood was to be washed. The gold, silver, and any other metal material was to be placed in fire to be purified. After that, then it could be washed with water. This would be the aftermath of the battle with the five tribes of Midian. Of the Israelites, not one of the 12,000 men died during the battle. They would bring back much spoil from the raid. It says in Numbers 31 verses 32 through 35, that the soldiers brought back 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 women never had sex before. Some scholars have suggested that these totals are much higher than would be found recorded in other historical battles that were fought. For example, when around this time period in history, the Egyptians would make a raid into the land of Canaan. This was done before they began to lose dominion, and it has been recorded that they came back with about 2,000 cattle, 2,000 goats, only 20,500 sheep, and about 2,500 slaves. That would include men, women, and children. Unfortunately, we don't know the exact amount of animals and captives the Israelites took in battle. Some suggestions have been made that the numbers could be more than just quantities, that they were recorded without much thought to them, or that it is the exact quantity that the Israelites took in the battle. However, looking at the numbers, one would realize that all the quantities are rounded to the exact thousand. Whichever the amount of spoil that was brought back, it was all to be divided. Half would go to the soldiers, and the other half would be given to the rest of the Israelites, those that had not gone out to battle. This would be contrary to many ancient cultures during this time. Normally, the soldiers would keep all the spoils and only give a portion to the king and priest of the people's gods. Once the spoils were divided between the soldiers and the rest of Israel, a portion from each would be given to the Levites and the priesthood. From the soldiers, one out of every 500 animal or person would be given to the priesthood. 
From that portion that was given to the rest of the Israelites, it would be one out of every 50 animal and person that would be given to the tribe of Levi. Then, on top of this, the commanders of the officers of the army recognized that not one man died or went missing that was in the Israeli army. Therefore, they wanted to present an offering of gold to give to the Lord. This would be from the gold that was taken during the battle. Items such as armlets, bracelets, rings, earrings, and necklaces. Offering was given to Moses and Eleazar and placed in the tabernacle as a memorial, a sign of how the Lord delivers his people. The total weight of gold given by the commanders and officers was 16,750 shekels. This would be more than the required amount to be given. As a ransom, the commanders were required to give only half a shekel per person in their command. Because only 12,000 soldiers went out to battle, 6,000 shekels was the required amount to be given as an offering to the Lord. 6,000 shekels is about 2,500 ounces, which is just about 158 pounds of gold, or about 71 kilograms. This would have been required amount to be given by the commanders, but they gave more, a lot more than that. 16,750 shekels is the weight that they gave as an offering. The weight of that amount of gold is about 7,000 ounces, which is about 440 pounds, or 200 kilograms. Today, that would be equal to about 13.5 million U.S. dollars. This would not have been all of the gold either. The soldier and commanders would still have their own stash to bring home after the battle. Now, this may seem like a lot of gold to have been taken from the Midianites, especially given the tribal society that they lived in. Being a semi-nomadic tribe, this would be a lot of gold for them to have, as often, nomadic tribes usually held their wealth in herds, not metal. However, it has been pointed out by scholars that this number two could be a number that takes into account more than just quantities. At the same time, though, it could have been possible that these semi-nomadic tribes did have that amount of gold because the Midianite tribes lived along the King's Highway, the roadway that went from the Mesopotamian region in the north down to the land of Egypt in the south. It wasn't just kings and their armies traveling this road. Often, it was traveling trade caravans carrying much of their items to trade from one region to another. In this area, there are tombs that have been excavated that have gold items buried alongside their former owners that date back to the Middle Bronze Age. Even today, the people that live in this region where the Midianites once lived Wearing items of wealth is still a prized tradition among them. This battle would bring the end of the battles against the Midianites for the time being. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. For now, the Israelites have just come back from a battle with at least five tribes of the Midianites nation, destroying each one of them. The army would then bring back all of their plunder to the plains of Moab, 
the location where the Israelites were camping, waiting for the moment to come when they would enter the promised land. But before that could happen, there were still a few more logistics that needed to be addressed before command could be fully given over to Joshua so that he could lead the Israelites into the promised land. So join us next time in episode 65, The Two and a Half Tribes of Israel. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.